A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And now for a special message from a big fan of the Murder Mile UK True Crime Podcast. Her Majesty, the Queen. Why up ones, homies? Tis I. The Queen, also known by one's bloods as the Q-Unit, the Q-Bomb, the Q-Ball, and Notorious HRH. One is the blingiest of all rude gals around, one drips in gold, wears crowns, and cruises the mean streets of Windsor in a blacked-out limo, yo. Riding with one's homies? Well, Edward. One's bitches? Mostly corgis. And with one's face on the freaking money. So day or night... One's mushes inches from y'all's nuts, knobs and flaps. How does one like those apples? Say what? what? You want to take one on, does one? You got an AK-47? One's got one's own army, bitches. Thug life. One would like to take this opportunity to say, Brup, big up one's Windsor Massive, yo. With a shout out to Neddy, Blossoms, the GGBGs, the Bucktooth Killer, AK-47, the Sugar Lump Mofo, and Horsey McHorse Face. Although one's taken to calling him just Mac, as when one shouts out Horsey McHorse Face, it confuses the flip out of the minor royals. So Lizzie B.I.G. in the big gold house is here, representing one's main man, Michael, and to thank one's listeners for supporting Murder Mile, you? With a thank you from one's fam, Prince Charles... <laughs> monstrous carbuncle. Prince Philip? Zulus, they don't like Appam. Prince Edward? Sorry, what do I do again? Prince Andrew? No comment. Prince Harry? I dressed up as a Nazi. Princess Kate? Officer, who keeps stealing my knickers? I don't know, ma'am. <laughs> uh, 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 ignore these. Uh, they're just very expensive silk hankies uh, for, for my cold. And of course, it's fat, it's blonde, it leaves shit everywhere. No, it's not one's corgis. It's that buffoon, Boris Johnson. Wow, corgi sex, rather. So big up my murder mile massive, yo. Now excuse one, whilst I crank this shit up. So... To end the season of Murder Mile, this will be our last episode of Mini Mile. As next week, Murder Mile returns with a brand new multi-part series to take us to the end of the year. But before you dash off to prepare a cup of tea, a bicky and a cake, there's this. Friends, welcome to Mini Mile. Your indispensable compendium of UK true crime trivia. This week, we'll ask which sibling is most likely to become a serial killer. 
What Ponzi toys do crime scene investigators have at their disposal? What homemade weapons can be made in prison? Who are some serious oddballs with a screw loose? And who is London's other worst robber? And with only one week until the brand new Murder Mile multi-part series returns, here's this week's episode of Mini Mile. So let's keep things off with a little How Do You Do? By learning more about some infamous serial killers and murderers on a more social level. This week, which sibling is most likely to become a serial killer? So which of one's bitches is it, mofos? Andrew? My lawyers asked me to say no comment. Edward? I must do something. Any clues would be nice. Charles? I talk to trees. Philip? I've never been to a Parisian underpass, never driven a motorbike, and never shot at a black Mercedes. Sorry, what was the question? Well, one of us must be. One's related to Henry VIII, the wife's bonds chopper, the ginger-faced killer, the Wu-Tang king. One's got form, yo, and there's zippity-doo-dah that the pigs can do about it. So listen up, biatches. Thank you, Mum. A lot is said about the different personality traits between siblings. Testify. Whether they are firstborn, middle child, last out, or an only child. Some may be moody, brooding and insular, and others energetic, hyperactive and attention-seeking, with each child's dominant characteristics based on their birth order. In 1927, psychologist Alfred Adler wrote about his theory that birth order predicted the following behaviour in children. Youngest child syndrome, characterised as highly social, confident, creative, a problem solver, funny, charming, but also spoilt, a risk taker, and adept to getting others to do things for them. Middle child syndrome, characterised as unremarkable, moody, feels left out, and neglected, but is often the hardest to label as they desperately seek to be the exact opposite of their older sibling, with middle children more prone to depression but have stronger immune systems. Eldest child syndrome. Characteristics are dictated by how they react to the arrival of the second born, who usurps their place as the only child. So their traits swing wildly between an achiever or a perfectionist, a natural leader or bossy, strong-willed or sullen, Serious or solitary? Only child syndrome. Characterised by a high level of confidence, a need for privacy and independence. A higher academic ability, but an inability to share, oversensitivity and an inability to accept criticism. So can the personality traits of serial killers and mass murderers partially be determined by their birth order? This is a non-scientific study based on a random selection of 29 British serial killers. Beverly Allett, the Angel of Death. She was a middle child, the second of four, with two elder sisters and one younger brother. Levi Belfield, the bus stop killer, the youngest of five with two brothers and two sisters, plus ten step-siblings. Ian Brady, the Moors murderer. He was an only child who was put up for adoption. Myra Hindley, the Moors murderer. 
She was the eldest child with one younger sister. John Reginald Christie. He was the second youngest of seven siblings. Thomas Neal Cream, the Lambeth Poisoner. He was the eldest of eight brothers and sisters. Joanna Dennehy, the Peterborough Ditch Murderer. She was the eldest of two with one younger sister. Kenneth Erskine, the Stockwell Strangler. He was the middle child of three brothers. He was also abandoned. Stephen Griffiths, the Sunderland Strangler. He was the eldest of three. John George Haig, the Acid Bath Murderer. He was an only child. Trevor Hardy, the Beast of Manchester. He was the youngest of four children. Colin Ireland, the Gay Slayer. He was the eldest of two with one half-sibling. He was also abandoned by his father. Patrick McKay. He was the eldest of three with two younger sisters. Robert Maudsley, unfairly dubbed Hannibal the Cannibal. He was the youngest of four children with two brothers and one sister before they were all orphaned, although his parents would later go on to have a total of 12 children. Raymond Morris, the A34 killer. He was the youngest of two with one older brother. Donald Nielsen, the Black Panther. He was an only child. Dennis Nielsen, the kindly killer. He was the middle child of three with one older brother and one younger sister, excluding his step-siblings who entered his life much later. Harold Shipman, Dr. Death. He was a middle child, the second of four, with two brothers and one sister. John Strafen. He was the youngest of three, with one older sister and brother. Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. He was the eldest of six, with two younger brothers and three sisters. Fred West. He was the eldest of six, with two other siblings who died early in infancy. Rosemary West. She was the eldest of two with one younger brother. Steve Wright, the Suffolk Strangler. He was a middle child, the second of four, with one older brother and two younger sisters. Graham Young, the Teacup Poisoner. He was the youngest of two with one older sister. Robert Black. He was an only child, born illegitimate and later fostered. Peter Manuel. He was a middle child of three with one brother and one sister. Peter Tobin, also possibly Bible John, he was a middle child, second eldest of eight children. Michael Ryan, the Hungerford Massacre, he was an only child. And finally, Derek Bird, the Cumbria Killer, he was one of twins. So if we split these into groups of youngest, middle, eldest and only children, of the only children, there's a total of five of 29, Ian Brady, John George Haig, Donald Nielsen, Robert Black, and Michael Ryan. Youngest child. In total, there were six of 29. These are Levi Belfield, Trevor Hardy, Robert Maudsley, Raymond Morris, John Strafen, and Graham Young. Of middle children, there was a total of nine of 29. These were Beverly Allett, John Reginald Christie, Kenneth Erskine, Dennis Nielsen, Harold Shipman, Steve Wright, Peter Manuel, and Peter Tobin with one anomaly there being Derek Bird, who was a twin. And of those who were the eldest child, there was also a total of nine out of 29. Myra Hindley, Thomas Neal Cream, Joanna Dennehy, Stephen Griffiths, Colin Ireland, Patrick McKay, Peter Sutcliffe, Fred West and Rosemary West. So according to the data, you are statistically 
twice as likely to be a serial killer if you are a middle or eldest child than if you were an only child or the youngest child. Ooh, call your siblings now. Tell them, I know you're a potential murderer. Of course, there are lots of other factors which determine being a serial killer, but this could be one. For the record, I am the youngest of three. As an interesting side note, I also took a look at the birth order of three infamous dictators, and the results were quite interesting. Former Nazi dictator Adolf Hitler, he was the third eldest of seven siblings, but the first two died before he was born, so technically he was the eldest. Ex-Iraqi president Saddam Hussein, he was the second eldest of five siblings, but the firstborn son died of cancer before he was born, so again he was technically the eldest. And former Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi, he was the eldest of four siblings, as his two other brothers died before his birth. Hmm, interesting. And now, although Murder Mile returns next week, which means that Extra Mile returns, as many listeners have been left in limbo, their trembling hands perched by the kettle, tears trickling onto a solitary bake-all tart, as a spray-painted duck black, drip tipex on its head, call it a coot and ask for an update, here's a little nibble of Extra Mile to tide you over. I'm still on a diet. And now, back to the show. Now it's time to get technical. Let's get technical! And by technical, I don't mean technical like the 8 billion questions that the British people will be asking ourselves in 2021 when we're asked to honestly fill in the national census. But, as always, can't help but embellish it just a little bit. With things such as, name? Is it legal if I change it to King Huge Shlong or Fanny McSkinny Flaps? Age? Hmm, I'll just put 30s-ish. Racial identity? Black, white or other? Well, I am from Essex, so I'll just put orange. Religion? Is Jedi still valid? And where it says occupation... You think to yourself, hmm, in truth I should really write sales assistant, but I dream of being a rock star, and yet if I'm absolutely honest, I'd love to write, I'm flunky to a nut of fuckwit, who I dream of feeding his fat lazy ass head first into a shredder, squatting over his face whilst writing my name in plop on his forehead, and pinning his tiny willy to the wall so we can all laugh and point at his pointless pecker. But as there's only enough space for sales assistant, that'll have to do. So let's strip away the chocolate-swirled icing, the soft spongy franzi pan, and the sweet sticky jam. Oh god, this diet is killing me. And get down to the shortbread base of those CSI-style crime shows by asking, how exactly does it work? This week is the concluding part of what are the fancy pants tools in a pathologist's arse... A pathologist's arse... A pathologist's... Um... Toolbox. Oh, now where was I? Oh, yes. No, lovely Princess Kate. I think you'd look much prettier wearing that Guinness costume. So here's a few more for you to absorb. Video Spectral Comparator 2000. 
You know it's very technical, as it's suffixed by the numbers 2000. Wow, I bet it uses a laser. The VSC-2000 is a super-resolution imager which allows investigators to examine a piece of paper at macroscopic level to identify the paper's origin, quality and type, but also to identify the unique signature of a person's handwriting, any alterations or deletions, even if the paper has been damaged by fire or water. The VSC-2000 has since been replaced by the VSC-8000. I know, 8000. That's four times better. Wow! Phenotyping Phenotyping is a process of predicting genetic information based on the DNA sequencing. This allows the investigator to predict a person's hair or eye colour based on 24 DNA variants and six genetic markers. It's not foolproof, but the Herisplex system can predict blonde hair 70% of the time, brown hair 79%, red hair 80% and black hair 88%, giving an investigator a set of parameters to work from based on just a small sample of DNA. Microbiomic identification. It currently isn't accurate enough to use in an investigation, but as our bodies have roughly 37.2 trillion cells each, and 20 times more microorganisms known as microbiomes than we have cells. And everyone's microbiomes are unique to each person. And each colony of microbiomes is unique to a specific part of their body. It's early days, but it is believed that this will be the cutting-edge technology to help convict those who commit sexual assaults. Tattoo ID for no logical reason, loads of criminals seem to think it's a genius idea to get a very distinctive tattoo, either on their hands or their face. And although these are often obscured by clothing or are difficult to see on poor CCTV, Tattoo ID is a high-resolution spectral imaging system which scans the finer details of tattoos taken from CCTV. It collects them in a database, and as each tattoo is drawn by hand, therefore they are all unique. It is proving to be as accurate as fingerprinting. Palynology. No matter where you walk, whether a forest, a field or a street, there are a wide variety of plants, trees, weeds, flowers, fungi and grasses drifting through the air seeking places to settle. But often they land on your clothes, your hair, your skin or your shoes. And although they might seem insignificant, these pollen biomarkers give off a very specific signature linking a unique collection of pollen, not just to a place, but also to a time. Pollen biomarkers were effectively used to determine the origin of hundreds of victims found in mass graves in Bosnia. And finally, Vehicle Systems Forensics, also known as VSF. Every criminal knows not to use their mobile phone when committing a crime, as the phone stores all kind of data, such as date, time, speed and location as well as what they've searched for. But as phones get smarter, so do our cars. Most modern cars not only contain inbuilt GPS and infotainment systems, but also telematic systems. This is a small hidden box complete with 70 interconnected electronic control units placed throughout the car, which informs the driver about all manner of interesting details, such as if the doors are open, seatbelts are unbuckled, the airbag, the engine speed, distance, direction and duration. 
but this data is also collected by the system for diagnostic purposes and can tell any crime scene investigator where you've been, how and when. So if you're a criminal who spends all day in a field of wildflowers, scratching the biomes off your head, driving whilst texting and Instagramming your entire escape from the police, having got a tattoo of your name, address and list of crimes on your face, although let's be honest, I wouldn't put that past some of the criminals out there, you're absolutely screwed. If not, you're still screwed. Right, well, sad news my friends. As you know, sales have been a little slow in the murder mile shop, money's been tight, adverts have been thin, and my sherbet-like manspooge is only good for gritting the drive of a doll's house. So sadly, my lovely girlfriend, Eva Green, has dumped me. <laughs> she, she said the sex was amazing. The best six seconds of her whole life. <laughs> but as shoes are like oxygen to her, with no adverts, there's no Eva. And so, no longer will my lovely Eva, my, with her lovely, whilst wearing shaped fountain fancies on her. So as Eva's gone, and there almost certainly won't be an advert, let's use this moment of silence in the show to grieve. <laughs> Ooh, it's that cheesy sound effect of a 1980s style landline. The kind of phone no one has anymore, but I couldn't be asked to get a more up-to-date sound effect. Hmm, I wonder who it could be. Hi, it's Mike. Hiya, Acast here. Oh, hi, Acast. Look, now's not a good time. Eva's left me. I know, Mark. I heard it on Bono's Kimono Nono's, in which the U2 singer shares his wisdom on the best way to wear Japanese attire without flashing your love trumpet. Oh, well, she's just blowing off steam. Trump's Grumps with Lumps, in which the US president chats with old gits who've got boils about which gravy is best, bits or no bits. Well, it's, it's a free country, I guess. Eva's Eager for Beaver, a podcast for very recent lesbian converts who dedicate a whole day to dissing their sexually inept sherbet-spurting Sadoex boyfriends. Oh, well, I guess she's probably grieving too. In her own way. And Mr Kipling's celebrities with cream cakes on their nipples. But that's my favourite podcast. In which Eva talks about how she dislikes cream cakes. That bitch! She can bruise and abuse me, but don't batter my Battenberg. Oh, Eva, <laughs> I shall never forgive you. Oh, Mark, us at Acast feel so awful. We're partly to blame. Treating you so badly, with no adverts, no money, and making you do really lewd things. Like being the ball in the nudie greased up sex skimp vodka jelly shot temping bowling. The sloppy party bottom in our cocaine coated anal dildo archery contest. And even on our off days, flicking your testicles like they were a Newton's cradle. Oh, we treated you so bad. And we're so, so sorry. Really? Yeah, it's all change here. We're on a strict detox now. Those hedonistic days are long gone. No more drugs, no more sex, no more skydiving sex dungeon orgy roller coasters using the shite podcasters as a crash mat and their livers as post-shack snacks. 
Now we're turning over a new leaf. And from now on, we're going to give you all of the adverts you want to make your life better. Now that Eva's dumped you. And is probably having amazing sex with an equally stunning lady in a jacuzzi whilst using a <coughs> on a <coughs> with a set of Oh, thank you, Acast. Thank you. It really means a lot to me. I mean, this this really feels like it could be a great start of a friendship between Acast and... Oh, oh what's that alarm? Ah, oh, thank Flip for that. We've just completed our annual Acast detox. Oh, it were the toughest six minutes of our lives. Anywho, Mark, forget everything I've just said. We're off on an Acast Megabad Druggy Shaggy blowout. Yay! So see you in three months. Tana! Acast! 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 I know it's a silly question, but will there be an advert in this show? You know, Mark, we, we don't know. Aha. Uh-huh. So here's either an advert, a gap, or something really lewd. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And now, on to a returning part of the show. Oh, another call. That's odd. Hi, it's Mike. Hello, Michael. This is Ian Cakes, the owner of Mr. Kipling's Cakes. I wanted to thank you for single-handedly keeping our company afloat. And as a treat, we're giving you an unlimited supply of Mr. Kipling's Cakes for life. Yes, life is good. Oh, no. On to a returning bit. Mm, God, it's so delicious. Mm, of the show. Mm, oh, sod the diet. Mm, mm, where we discuss uh, prison things because. Under the section, bloody blah, of the Gits What Not Me A Bit Act. Officer, shh! Can't you see I'm eating cake? This is my religion. 
Would I disturb you as you pray at your Guinness-flavoured, Arsene Wenger-shaped statue to the lovely Princess Kate? Uh, good point. Well made. So you're over Eva, then? Eva who? This week on Doing Bird, we'll take a peep at the type of illegal weapons which have been made in prison. None of which can be hidden, nor would you want them to be hidden, up a man's bottom. Number one, a shiv, also known as a shank. Deriving from the 17th century word shive, meaning a knife, a shiv is an improvised stabbing weapon made from literally anything. Scrap metal, wooden handles, toothbrushes, tiles or combs, with razor blades or pins embedded into the object, or either it is shaped into a sharp blade. They're designed to be thin, flat and easy to make, conceal and destroy. Some prisoners have even melted down boiled sweets and fashioned them into a shank, which is easy to make and tasty to destroy. Number two, the lock sock or ball mace. Again, this is easy to make. Prisoners can take a sock and place into it anything that is weighty that they have access to, perhaps a padlock or a pool ball. Separately, they're two harmless and everyday objects, but when the lock sock is swung, it can do serious damage to an inmate's skull. Number three, the Millwall Brick. Named after the London football club, whose fans were infamous during the 1960s and 70s for being unable to fart without fighting. A Millwall Brick is a simple cosh made from lots of layers of tightly rolled, wetted and dried paper. It sounds really stupid, but given enough layers, it can be made as hard as a wooden club and being made of paper, it's easy to dispose of. Number four, floss wire. Very few prisoners have access to dental floss, as when multiple strands are wound together, it can be used to garrote an inmate, and has been used in the past to saw through prison bars. And number five, tin can tops. As anyone who's ever cut their finger opening a can knows, they can be very sharp. And as prisoners can purchase tinned goods in the prison shop, these tin can tops have been used as weapons. Now those are the standard weapons which can be found in prison. And here are some bizarre ones. The razor whip. Discovered in a Hamburg prison in 1996, the razor whip consisted of a large wooden stake onto which was attached a meter-long leather strap, which was weighted at the end by bolts and along the strap were three razor blades. It was discovered before it was used, but it could have been lethal. Homemade guns. Many times dummy guns have been crafted in prison to fool the guards into thinking that the inmate is armed, but many working guns have also been made inside. In a Canadian prison, a working .22 caliber handgun was made just using hobbycraft tools. In Folsom State Prison, One was made using a stapler. And in Germany, a double-barreled shotgun was made from scrap metal from the prison workshop. It was loaded with ball bearings and ignited by AA batteries, match heads and a light bulb. And the shotgun was so effective, it blew a hole in a pane of bulletproof glass. The toothbrush crossbow. A Canadian prisoner made a fully working crossbow using 10 toothbrushes, a cigarette lighter, a ballpoint pen, a coat hanger, 
a pair of metal tongs, a pair of rubber gloves, some string and a few screws. It was never used, but when tested, it fired steel bolts as far as 40 feet away. And finally, a radio bomb. After his incarceration, serial killer Donald Wee Gaskins was asked by Tony Chimo, a fellow inmate, to kill another prisoner, Rudolf Tyner, who had killed Chimo's mother and stepfather. Somehow, Wee Gaskins had got hold of some C4 explosives. As you do. He put them in a radio, gave the radio to Tyner, telling him it was a walkie-talkie so the two of them could communicate with each other. And when Tyner returned to his cell, he switched on the radio, and boom! Tyner's cell was redecorated with a new coat of red. But according to most prisoners, the best and most effective weapon to immobilise any other prisoner is the prison food. It's lumpy, it's lethal, and as a cunning disguise, it almost looks like real food. And now for... True Crime Swapsy Time! Where each week, I'll share with you another true crime podcast, which you might like, or you might not like. Here's a clip. Evening all. My name is Police Constable Arsenal Guinness of the Metropolitan Plot. And this is the Plodcast. Each week on the Plodcast... I shall entertain you with some of the mysterious unsolved cases what I have investigated over my many years in the pub. Sorry, I meant service. Such as the fat bald man who accidentally broke both arms and legs whilst wearing a t-shirt that read Arsenal is shit. Once again, officer, I apologise. The abusive Greek racist who travels the world spouting all kinds of unsavoury racial slurs like... You can't be Hungarian. You don't have a pot belly. Oh, Philip, don't be so crude. The mystery of the series of steaming turds found on the pitch at Chelsea, which were entirely black, full of iron, with frothy white heads. <coughs> the 93-year-old gold-crown-wearing granny who shot up a KFC in a drive-by horsing with a diamond-encrusted Mac-10, while shouting, Pick up one's ascot, posse, yo! God bless you, Mom. And the mysterious theft of lovely Princess Kate's underwear. Not the black lacy bras, or the Union Jack peekaboo teddy, but the cream-coloured silk camisole. <sighs> Stolen by a mysterious, dirty, dirty, dirty fiend, dressed entirely in black, with a strange black tall hat who left a Guinnessy drool at the scene. How's your cold, officer? Uh, what? Uh, uh, oh, uh, yeah, better. Thank you, Mum. Uh, Tis a most perplexing mystery. I am Police Constable Arsenal Guinness, and this is the Plotcast. Evening all. Hiya, Acast here. The Plodcast has been awarded winner of the prestigious ACAST Prize for Best Celebrities Talking Shite podcast. The ACAST Award for More Celebrities Talking Shite to Other Podcasts in a Celebrity Podcast Award. And the bestest, bestest ACAST podcast ever in history, celebrity or not, but thankfully not, award. For which we've awarded our favourite constable, premium celebrity adverts for life. Oh yes, 
all the essentials. Which the bot has asked me to say has nothing to do with the constable stumbling upon a cocaine-coated, camel-milking, nudie-sumo dance floor roller coaster. Nor is it now to do with just after that when he accidentally found a lifetime supply of VIP Arsenal season tickets and an 18-wheeled truck which will always be within 10 feet of him feeding him Guinness via an intravenous drip forever. That was just a coincidence. And before we head into our final section, I thought I'd share with you some rather strange characters which you may but hopefully you might not, meet on your travels in the UK or overseas. In a new section called Screw Loose. Screw Loose, Screw Loose, everybody's got a Screw Loose. First up, David Truscott. In 2001, on a cattle farm in Redruth, Cornwall, 44-year-old David Truscott was arrested for self-pleasuring himself whilst the naked man rolled around in a large vat of cow poo. Well, I guess, if you have to have a hobby, commit to it or don't. And he committed. No, honestly, he has been committed. Next, Sky. Again in 2011, a lady at the Hanuman Yoga Festival in Colorado got the shock of her life when she popped into a port for a little lady tinkle. Entering the tiny plastic cabin, which seemed to move all by itself, as she lifted up the toilet seat, hidden in the septic tank, she saw a semi-naked man, wrapped in a tarpaulin, who was covered in poo. The six-foot, eight-inch man, known only as Sky, had been hiding in there as he wanted to watch people pee and poo. Next, Robert Stewart at the Aberley House Hotel in Eyre, Scotland. When two cleaners didn't get a reply to their knocks, they opened the door to find the 51-year-old bachelor naked from the waist down, half drunk, and having sex with his bicycle. Shocked at the sight of a semi-naked man having a bonk with his bike, Mr. Stewart paused, said, What is it, hen? Before he continued thrusting his cycle. Mr. Stewart denied all charges, but was found guilty and was placed on the sex offenders register. And if you like that, here's some more. A 16-year-old Malaysian teen from Johor in Malaysia had to be freed with a circular saw when the aroused boy entered his family bathroom, pulled his trousers and pants down to his ankles and popped his engorged pecker in a sewage pipe. The incident was filmed for training purposes, apparently, and you can now see it on YouTube. 2013, an unnamed weirdo prowled the streets of Osterlund in Sweden, slashing the tyres of people's bicycles and masturbating as he watched them deflate. Apparently he's been at it since 2005 and he has never been caught. In Newcastle, Australia, police pulled over motorist Kenneth Weatherly, believing he was drunk. When they peeped inside his vehicle, the police saw that the 46-year-old man had his penis in a jar of pasta sauce and even as they tried to arrest him, he continued to pleasure himself with a sticky pot of ragu. In 2017, a Polish electrician called Florin Grosu from Romford was found having sex with a drain cover. The same year, Carl Watkins from Redditch was arrested for having sex with a pavement. And in Wiltshire, that same year, a man was found in a hospital canteen with a Henry Hoover down his pants. He claimed he was just cleaning his underpants. 
We've all been there, right? Right? Anyone? Oh. And now onto the final section of the final mini mile for this year. Eek! It is, of course, London weirdos. Here, mate. Yes, geez. I hear you're a proper natter. Me? I'm absolutely barking mad. But would you find me hips deep in shit, hidden inside a portaloo? Not a chance. Phew, glad to hear it, mate. Come on in. Just wash your hands before you finger my Bombay mix. You can't be too careful. Following on from London's worst robber, who semi-successfully robbed a G4S van whilst wearing a pair of underpants as the cunning mask, this week we'll follow up on an equally desperate criminal. Six foot four inch, 18 year old Rory Seeger from Ilford in Essex enjoyed gambling. It was one of his pleasures. But realising he still owed a good friend £1,800 and having ploughed his last pound into a roulette machine, Rory needed money quickly. Thinking that the best way to get some cash was to rob the local betting shop, William Hill, where he had just been, where he visited regularly, and he was known by the staff, one of whom was his own mother. Rory's plan was scuppered, as he didn't have a knife, a gun, or any weapon of any kind. So he popped into a local corner shop to see what they had to offer. A few moments later, Rory exited the shop with his weapon of choice in a black plastic bag and dashed into the betting shop, screaming, I've got a bomb! Having demanded money and waved at the cashier the black plastic bag, which contained a small tin of pilchards. Unfazed by the bungling bomber, the cashier walked into a secure room out back and called the police. But so unperturbed was the cashier that he didn't even set off any alarms. Rory and the tin of pilchards left the bookies and he was arrested shortly afterwards. Rory was given a two-year suspended sentence and a two-year supervision order. And according to those who knew him, the incident was entirely out of character. Rory was banned from visiting the betting shop for a year he sought the treatment he needed, and hopefully, he is now doing well. Oddly, if he thought about it, William Hill gives you betting odds on literally anything. So maybe he should have popped down his last quid and asked, what are the odds of this betting shop being robbed by a man holding a tin of pilchards? 100 to 1? 1,000 to 1? It's worth a punt. And now you know. So now, my beloved friends... That was your weekly dose of Mini Mile. I hope it was less explosive than a tin of pilchards, less creepy than a portaloo, and less gooey than a rather sexy bike. Don't forget the new exciting Murder Mile multi-part series begins next week. It will either be a six or a seven-parter, with the final part on or around Christmas or New Year's Eve. And after a little break to recoup and research more cases, I'll be back with season four of Murder Mile at the end of February. A big thank you this week to my new Patreon supporters, who are Annalisa Stevens. I hope my Patreon supporters have enjoyed the special mini-video series I've posted of Cases Which Will Never Come to Murder Mile. Ooh, very exciting. And there will be more online original goodies when the show's offline in January and February. Once again, thank you to everyone who's supported the podcast, who's left reviews, and sent me kind messages of support. It's very much appreciated. 
Murderwile will be back next week. Love to you all. Chatty bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.